0: This is episode number 87 with our guest, Todd Palmer. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in, it's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys, thank you for joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is Todd Palmer, who is the collaborative business advisor and CEO of Extraordinary Advisors. Simply put, he helps business leaders get stuff done. As the CEO of a six-time, six-time Inc. 5000 company, Todd knows that business success begins and ends with people. People make all of the business decisions regarding strategy, execution, cash, and staff. Todd isn't happy until his clients trust themselves as leaders and their decisions. He won't rest until teams trust the leaders and each other. He knows they've nailed it when CEOs and their leadership teams take action towards high-level achievement, resulting in clients that trust the company. Read more sales, more profits, more partnerships. He's also the author of the popular book, The Job Search Process, Find and Land a, j- uh, a Great Job in Six Weeks or Less. Help me welcome to the show, Todd Palmer. What's going on, Todd?
1: Josh, thanks so much for having me. I, I, lo- I love your enthusiasm for my introduction. I wish I could bring you everywhere I go.
0: Um, we can talk. It's possible.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, everybody's got a
0: prize. <laughs> right. And you'll create, uh, excuse me, guys, before we start this meeting, Josh, if you could in intro me and then i come in and thank you thank you well, Todd.
1: Like, well we were talking about baseball before we got on the broadcast it's like having you know the hitter going up to the on decks girl or to the home plate with, with their walk-up music you could just be the voice out there that everybody gets to hear
0: <laughs> wonderful so um your your title all on your website is chief rule breaker
1: yes yeah what, ex-
0: what exactly is this
1: Well, I, you know, I I work a lot with entrepreneurs who are very um, linear in their thought process Mm. and they think, you know, success is just a straight line from point A to point B. And the reality is I have to break that mindset to to recognize that every single failure that they incur, incur, every mistake they make is nothing more than another step on their pathway to success. So I have to shake up that mindset because oftentimes even going back to childhood, a lot of us are just taught you know, life is a win-lose scenario. Mm. And there's so much more to it. So when I say chief rule breaker, I'm kind of breaking down that thought process. Uh, I break it down in their hiring. They often think, well, I've got to hire people with five years of experience, and I can only hire people with this degree or that degree. And the reality often, for many jobs, not all jobs, but for many jobs, is if you hire the right DNA instead of the right resume – you can make a huge difference in your organization in those areas, so when they, when they wanna engage me, I often have to shift their mindset, and that's part of the rule breaking process.
0: We're gonna talk about hiring for the DNA, not the resume, but um, going down this path of chief rule breaker, I love it because you said that so many people you work with are linear in their thought process. When they hear your approach, is there resistance? Is there more fear that they're like, no, 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 I, I, I don't know about this?
1: Well, you know, the great thing about it is the clients that I do work with have heard me on programs like yours, or they'll see me speak on stage. So really the ones that I've worked with, they've already selected me from the audience. They've already selected me from a podcast and they want to engage. So it's not that I've got to sell my recipe because I'm a big believer in speaking from Gestalt and and I'll speak from experience and I'll, I'll share the mistakes that I've made. I'll share the successes we've had. And I'll even share anonymously some of the challenges other clients have faced. So they'll either figure out for me, for themselves pretty quickly, either, either I'm for them or I'm not for them. Again, it's kind of an acquired taste. It's like falling in love or, or beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Either Todd's a fit for you or, or he's not. And really either one's okay.
0: I love that you say success begins and ends with people. Is that is that lost on some? It's lost on many. So many
1: people, especially entrepreneurs, get wrapped up in getting the right strategy, which is important. Which is how do you execute against that strategy? That's key. Or you know that number one question you get is, well, how do I get more funding? I understand all that. How how do I get more staff? Well, the reality is the first person involved in that, that chain of decisions or those chains, chains of opportunity is the owner, is the CEO, is the executive leadership team. And those are all people. And the people decide what strategy we're going to go with, what we're not going to go with. They decide how are we going to execute, how long are we going to stay with the strategy before giving it up because it doesn't work. How are we going to tweak it? How are we going to not be necessarily married to something? You know, so many people think of their, their expectation. They're, my ex, I expect this strategy to work versus the intention. The intention is, you know what? I think I, my intention is to bring something to marketplace in a certain way. I don't know the exact right way. I'm going to try this way. If that doesn't work, I'm going to try this way. Expectations are wrapped in win-lose, yes, no. Expectations or intentions are much more flexible and can be moved. Then you take it down to pe- the position of cash. Well, a human being decides who gets paid and who doesn't in in accounts payable. A human being decides what your terms are going to be. A human being decides the relationship they're going to have with the bank. Magically, they're going to be working with another person, at least in today's world. In 10 years, it might just be computer to computer. And they decide who's going to be on the team. So ultimately, if you really distill it down to it, it's usually 99 99 out of 99 times it's a person making a decision somewhere. That's where I come in.
0: You've hinted at this and you mentioned it a little bit ago about failing, and you talk extensively on fail forward into success. I love that. Tell me more. Well, think of I and I
1: actually just, just gave this speech yesterday, and I had a very mixed dream. I mean, I love talking with entrepreneurs, but I've really discovered that most entrepreneurs are parents. And every entrepreneur was somebody's child. The reality is failing forward into success doesn't just tie into business, it ties into families, it ties into relationships. And, and it, you know, I often will talk from, from a, a point of experience. You know, In 2006, uh, nine years into my, my business run, I was $600,000 in debt, I was 60 days away from running out of cash, and I walked in and fired my entire company and started over. That, that's a pretty big nugget to deal with, boom, the next year we make 5000 for the first of the six times we made the list. So if we hadn't made those difficult decisions, we hadn't confronted the brutal reality of that debt load, of the, the decisions I, as the person in charge, was making, or worse yet, the decisions I was uncomfortable making because I didn't want a conflict. I'd rather have artificial harmony. All those things come into play and in how we failed forward into success. People will say, you know, I'd love to have you on my show. Can you talk about how you make the Inc. 5,000 six times? I said, I'm happy to talk about that as long as we can talk about all the struggles, trials, and tribulations that a company goes through. As a leader, I went through to fail forward into that level of
0: success. Wow. So let's, let's unravel some of that. Um, so, many, so many points I want to address here. What was the business in 2006 you were, uh, you were involved in? Yeah.
1: So our company was Diversified Industrial Staffing. We are a Metro Detroit market company at the time. And we basically were placing a lot of temporary employees at automotive plants.
0: Okay. And, that's, and then you found yourself in, how did you accumulate $600,000 in debt? What were you doing wrong? What were you doing Right.
1: Well, that, that could be a whole other show in and of itself. It was, <laughs> and again, it's, 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 it's interesting that, you know, you know you, we, we, do we wanna be known from our biggest mistakes? But in this case, my biggest mistakes have now become the, the way we became successful and the way I'm, I'm able to help other entrepreneurs. The reality is we had a client that we gave long payment terms to, because in, in that time, this is pre-recession, mm-hmm. that's what co- recruiting companies did. Essentially, we were acting as the bank for this company. And they went belly up to the tune of $242,000 mm-hmm. in debt. So that was that big chunk. We had another company go in debt for one twenty-five. dollars So you, know, you have two big companies go out of business. We were you know, keeping up with industry standard terms when the reality is a staffing company it isn't a bank. It's a human capital provider as well as a fiduciary employer. So I couldn't, you know, when they discharged their bankruptcy to me, I couldn't go back to those employees and say, Hey, can I have the money back we paid you? Because I didn't get paid. Can I go back to the government and take the taxes back that we paid? No. So from a, if you're going to, if you're going to be a a dishonest employer, take that back, um, a, a a person of questionable ethics, run your payroll through a staffing company, you don't pay them. If you don't ever think you're going to dig out of your problems. And that's what happened to us.
0: Wow. Um, what did you learn from that specifically?
1: ah two big things um margin is king these were high volume low margin accounts
0: mm. so
1: we, when you take a we, you know you're running a which leaves no room for for errors no room for mistakes no room for bankruptcies no room for all those problems hmm. that's the first thing second thing is we you know if you if you actually ask for better terms and you work with employers that meet your core values then you're gonna get better terms. So we came up with a really sophisticated process to take our debt our debt from 120 days to 14 days. So oh, wow. when, when do you pay your employees? Well, we pay our employees either weekly or biweekly, that's it, I mean, there's, there's no monthly payment terms. Great, we need to be in that same check run because I'm paying all the rest of your employees weekly. Oh, okay, that makes sense. It's it, it like, how stupid were we? But we were just really uninformed in the marketplace. We were very afraid of, of letting the, the, the tail wag the dog, but we were carrying all the responsibility.
0: Mm, I love that you use the word afraid. And as we move through this dialogue, I'm going to extract some more of those things that you were afraid of and how fear played a role. It's the nature of this brand right here, the hidden entrepreneur. I spent sure. decades hiding behind fear, making all kinds of excuses. And you know, in a similar fashion now, granted, mine wasn't in a, in, in a heap load of that kind of debt, but it, it came out in other ways that we can all relate to. Uh, yeah. so, so this this Inc. 5000, six years running, was the staffing company?
1: Yeah, it was a diver- it's still, it's, I still own it today. It's diversified industrial staffing. We have switched our model. We do primarily all direct hire now, which is higher margin, lower risk. And it's a, it's a good model to work with when we're in the spot we're in right now in the, in the economy where you've got increased demand and diminished supply of people. So if we can get a great person we can get them a better job because there's a huge market demand. It's kind of, um, you know, the average American welder is 60 some years old and you know, there's just not a next generation of the capacity required in the manufacturing space of their next workforce. So if we find a great person, I mean, my, 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 uh, my Mike Trout of the manufacturing world is the, the 30 year old CNC programmer with 10 years experience who can do both mills and lathes. Um, I can't necessarily get him, you know, millions of dollars but in his world i can get him a really nice payday because he's a unicorn
0: any of the ink lists ink 5000 what have you those are based on um gross revenue for the the fiscal year for the company right
1: it's the the way the ink 5000 works is it's revenue year over year growth in revenue year over year growth over a three-year period so oh, wow. our, so if you take into account that we made it six times in, in a seven-year cycle, that c- encompasses about a decade worth of, of experience.
0: What does someone like you need to bring to the table that allowed you to make that list six times?
1: You know, it, it, it really became figuring out where our inflection point was. Where was that pent-up demand? So the first year we made it, the country was in a recession. I mean, so you think nobody's hiring, the unemployment rate around the country is 14%. Wow. How did a recruiting and a staffing company do that? So when, I, After I, after terminating the entire company, I really did come up with the methodology to hire for DNA for resume, so I didn't have to unteach bad recruiting habits. I had a, a person join me, she had been a medical person, and she worked at a small doctor's office, and her toughest part of her job is she had to call people up, like you and I, and say, hey Todd, I just want to let you know, we've got your test results. And unfortunately you, you've been diagnosed with X. I'm going to leave mm-hmm. you on the phone for a minute. And then the doctor's going to join and We're going to talk about a program of treatment. Imagine getting that phone call, the shock, the awe, the, the, the bargaining with death thought process. My goodness. So when I interviewed her, I'm like, why do you want to work here? She's like, I tell people pretty much on a day-to-day basis, they have a disease or possibly may die. If I can call somebody and say, you've got a new job opportunity. It's going to change my life. I'm like, you're hired. If you can do that, <laughs> you can do this. Wow! And so then, I hired another guy who worked at um, Olive Garden. He was a waiter, and like, he, and he was able to upsell me. I'm like, if you can upsell me to spend more money out of my pocket, we're we're going to be able to get. So I just took a different approach because I looked at the transferable skill sets. Both of those people, in particular, had very strong transferable skill sets. When they came aboard, they were able then to 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 be coachable. It's just like when I work with, um, you know, I, when I work with the clients that I work with at Extraordinary. One of my key values and core pieces is. Are, my, are the, the entrepreneurs and CEOs that I work with, are you coachable? Now the coachability for that is a little different versus the coachability of an employee, but still it comes down to simple questions like, when was the last time you read a book? I mean, are you a lifelong learner? When was the last time you, you watched a documentary or listened to a podcast and what did you learn from it? It's not the basic blocking and tackling you'd think. We found that these employees, going back to the staffing business, these employees were hungry to learn, they were willing to try new things without fear because they didn't bring 10 years of experience. So we were able to go out, ask different questions in the marketplace. Those questions, getting those answers, helped us figure out where there was a pent up demand. And that really was in the manufacturing skilled trade space. So employers would say to us, you know, I'm not really hiring. Simple question back was, instead of saying no, and bailing off the phone, but that, now that was back in the day when people actually answered the phone and they could have a conversation. And they'd say, say, well, if we're going to hire somebody, what kind of person would you hire? Well, if you found me this person who could do this skill set, I'd make room for them on my team. I can't Mm. find anybody like that. And when the economy does turn around, I want them on my team. Like, oh, okay, well, you know they're going to cost more. That's fine. So wait a minute. You're telling me there's an increased demand and a diminished supply, and you're going to pay us more? And we figured that out. We we put a lot of gasoline on that fire. And literally, the $600,000 in debt was gone within eight years. Paid, you, paid all in full. You have a sales background. Um, I, I had to do my own sales. Uh, you know, talk about fear. Uh, when I was young, I had a fear of the telephone. I had a fear of rejection. I had a fear of being told no. So God. it was very difficult for me. I could go in and close, but I, you know th- that prospecting was just gut wrenching. It was torturous. Like no, no, no. I'm like I can't believe people do this for a living. But I was like, at the time I was a single dad. And I had my son with me. Like well. Hmm. He, if, I, if I don't sell something, he's not going to eat. And now he's 27, he's 6'4", 260. He's a big guy. He likes to eat.
0: You, I love all that. You mentioned transferable skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that angle. Can you, can you place that in, in, into the context of um, an entrepreneur tuning in and listening? What do we need to know? How, what can we use with that?
1: Yeah, especially for entrepreneurs who are who are going to be hiring. You know, you may you know I just just met a woman. She was the number one salesperson at a tech company. I was blown away because she had dynamic personality. I said, "How did you find your job?" And she goes, "It's funny with algorithms and all this other technology. Fifteen years ago, I never would have gotten my job. I was selling swimsuits in retail, but I was the number one swimsuit person selling. And I and I met the owner of the company by a fluke. We're talking. He's like, she's like." her pitch was so simple but so, so sophisticated. She says, if I can convince women to go to the beach in my, in the bikinis we provide, I can convince people to buy, you, buy, it was pay-per-click. I can convince people to buy your pay-per-click stuff, no problem. Within a year, she was the number one salesperson. She doesn't have a degree in technology. She doesn't have a degree in, in any of those pieces, so she never would have got it. So what? The, that guy was so smart. He's like, you have great people skills you have tenacity, you have an underdog attitude, we can transfer that. We'll teach you how to solve technology, but we can't necessarily go and teach that DNA that you have to other people. And that's really what we strive for. You know, Certain jobs in your organization are always gonna need a degree. Accounting is a perfect example. But if you get an accounting person who is, is against your company culture and doesn't have your core values, yeah, they might be technically proficient, but they're gonna wash out because they're not gonna fit with your team. So that's what, for those positions where degree accounting, IT, et cetera, is required, find someone who's going to match your values, who you are as an organization, because that's really where the magic takes place. And that's where they become, we call them an an, and then some employee. Here's my job, and then I'll do some more. Or and I'll contribute. You know, those those people who fit your core values may not be in sales, they're in accounting or IT. But They're the ones who believe in the values of the company. They're the ones that are going to start the, your, your charitable endeavors, your, your give back programs to the community. That's how they can embody the core values, even if they're not forward-facing with the customers.
0: I've also seen you speak on what I love is um, the O word, opportunity. And you frame this within the context of luck, intelligence and trust use that to grab opportunity and i've realized in my current uh brand here opportunity it's just everywhere if you know where to look and how to identify it
1: well i think that uh, that goes back to to mindset i I give you credit you did your research because i gave that speech exactly one time so I, (laughs) I, i i love your due diligence um but it is really true but i think it goes back to the mindset and it comes back to you, do you have a mindset of abundance or a mindset of scarcity? Going back to when we we're talking about fear, I had a mindset of, of scarcity. Like I got this one client, I better do whatever they want because if I lose them, then the company's in trouble, uh, my family's in trouble, all these different things as compared to now having a mindset of abundance and recognizing that there, there's opportunity everywhere. If your messaging is clear, if you can talk about how you can add value and how you can and help... You're not going to sell anybody anything they don't want to buy. People connect with you on a cellular level. They either, you either connect with them or they don't. And often you connect with them and how you can help them solve a problem. So I think, I think part of the opportunity comes from abundance versus security, but also servant leadership. How can I serve the audience I'm in front of? You know, I've spoken to groups as large as 600. I spoke to a group the other day as, as small as 10. You don't know who's in the room. You have to bring your A game when you're doing sales. You have to bring your A game or when you're a CEO, you're always on, on stage, in a sense. So how can you be a, a servant leader to other people versus being focused just on what you're not getting?
0: We're, wow, so, so so much here. I wanna um, pivot back for a minute and go back to the very beginning and see how you got to be this um, really um, knowledgeable, to say it uh, mildly, person. Take us oh, well, back to, <laughs> seems like it, right? Yeah, well, you know, I, I
1: think most knowledge, <laughs> most, most success, um, it, it comes from a, a point of massive trauma and massive failure in life. Interesting. And if you, if you think of, you know, uh, Tom Brady, six-time Super Bowl quarterback, he was the number 200 pick in the draft. And I only know that because he went to school up here, up here in the University of Michigan down the street. So, you know, he wasn't the number one pick. He didn't have the biggest arm. He had to share time with Brian Greasy at U of M. Boom. Now he's considered the greatest of all time. It didn't just happen overnight. It was through a lot of trials and tribulations and work in evolution. My, my journey was no different. You know, people, you know, it's funny. People think that, Oh, you're successful. Now you've always been successful. That's not true. I grew up on a farm. I I had 42 kids in my graduating class. I have no problem telling this. I had a high school GPA of 2.5. I always tested well, but I couldn't apply myself think ADD entrepreneurs listening. I can't focus on one thing. So I focus on dreaming and visioning. Well, no one was telling us that there, that there was a big difference between being an integrator and a visionary. I was always a visionary. I was awful at the integration part of, the, the, of life some days. And, you know, and it's, it's crazy to think back that you know I was raised by a single mom. My, dad, my father passed away when I was five years old. My mom was my primary caregiver. She had to go back to work. Then my brother, who was my older brother, got an uh, athletic scholarship to go play his sport out of state. My older sister got married, moved out of state. Within 60 days, all my core family was gone. Huh. Wow. As a five-year-old, the first thing you feel is abandoned. Second thing you feel is rejected. Fast forward, I'm now doing sales. I hate being told the word no. Hmm. I wonder why, right? As, a, as an older person now, I'm like, okay, it makes a lot more sense but the reality becomes is what our greatest struggles with as human beings can often be flipped, especially through the, the vehicle of entrepreneurship, to some of the greatest successes we could ever hope for. I never thought I'd be on a stage in South Africa telling everybody uh, I was $600,000 in debt. I was 60 day, days away from running out of cash. I walked in and fired my entire company. Then we made the Inc. 5,000 six times. It, it's, you don't think that in the moment. But if you don't go through those tough times, you don't lean into that uncomfortable the growth is not going to take place. If you want to get bigger muscles and run faster for athletics, you have to have you to know, put the time out on the track and put the time in the weight room. It just doesn't magically happen. There's only one Bo Jackson and he got hurt. So, you know, the rest of us have to put the time in Jackson.
0: What a reference. Bo Jackson,
1: a little classic throwback for us. Baseball and football. fans.
0: Baseball and football. What's he doing both at one point? Yeah. I mean, could, simultaneously. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like these entrepreneurs who own four or five companies at the same time. They're the Bo Jackson of entrepreneurship. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Uh, thank you, by the way, for sharing all that uh, incredible with us. So at five years old, all of that is now your reality. For the next foreseeable future in that time span, how did you cope with that? How did you deal with that? What did you do?
1: You know, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I threw myself a lot into sports. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I, I wasn't really that talented at that. I, I mean, and my mom got remarried try to connect with that individual. He was unavailable for a lot of different reasons. You'd be surprised if you really get entrepreneurs to talk about most entrepreneurs that I know are, that are mega successful come from broken homes, come from, from, from fractured families. They, they're always seeking to fill that, that emptiness within. And going back to how I select my clients through for extraordinary advisors, you know, I want to find out what drives them because they often. say, well, I want to make more money. I'm a capitalist. I have no problem with them but I want to find out why you want to do it. And oftentimes what they say in public, but what they think about in private are not the same thing. They'll often say, you know what? I never felt good enough as a kid. And I just want to be good enough. I never felt whole or complete. How do I do that? And I'll talk about, you know, my childhood. I'll talk about some of the challenges I faced and that, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things we can do, but in order to change the, the organization, the bottleneck is always in the top of the bottle. It's the CEO. It's the executive leadership team and the people they pick with them. So we have to figure out what drives them and what motivates them, not from a financial standpoint. That If you do a great job and you have a great product or a great service, the finances, I can, show you, I can show you how to make money. What I have to help them figure out how to do is how to get out of their own way, how to get out of their own head how to stop their, their stinking thinking so that they're able to free up that. Because the brain can't operate in fight or flight and at a higher level of creativity simultaneously. That connection is broken. It doesn't exist. Um, and so you know, what I've really done is i committed to being a lifelong learner. I still use a coach today. That's what I say to all my clients. I drink my own Kool-Aid. I can't be just you know, sitting up, sitting upon top, talking down to the audience, saying you should this, you should that, you should this, you should that. I still have a, co- I have a coach for my, for my business. I have a coach for my baseball. I have a swing coach. I have a coach for my personal relationships. There are three coaches that provide me different sets of value so I can be the best me wherever I show
0: up. Mm, amazing. Uh, talk to me about this thinking, thinking. How do you approach mindset with a client? What do we need to know with that?
1: So, the first thing I do is I give them a diagnostic called Color Code, it's free any your listeners can anybody can go to colorcode.com and take the free assessment. And it tells me which of the four colors that they are. They're a yellow, they're a white, they're a red, they're a blue. I'm a blue. Um, it tells me then based upon that diagnostic, how do they look at the world? There's no right or wrong, by the way. It's just how we're wired. And I think it's simpler than a Colby or a disc. I don't have to remember all the letters mm-hmm. and the numbers. Again, being a visionary, it's like, Hey, you want a four color? Super. I can work with that. And then what it does is it gives me scripting on how best, to communicate with them in a way they will be heard. So I don't know how many people out there have heard, read the book, The Five Love Languages. Oh yeah. But if, but if you want to have a successful relationship with your significant other, if you talk to them in their love language, not yours, you get a whole lot further. Same construct with color code. If I can talk to an entrepreneur in a way they look at the world, it, it, it's able to get them unstuck. Well, many entrepreneurs get stuck. So that's the first thing I do. Then we talk about, and I share that with them. So. You know, I got a client he's white. I said, This is why you know you're a white. He's like, My gosh, that explains so much. I had no idea. So their level of self-awareness immediately gets heightened. Then we talk about what they want and why they want it. And it's about a four to six hour conversation about what they want, how they want it, why they're not getting it, what they feel they're inhibiting it. And again, I'm telling you, it's people only think, well, if I just had enough money, it'll fix all my problems. If you if you had enough money then what would you do? So there's all these different, these language tracks you go through, but ultimately it comes down to, you know, who were you at 10 years old? What drove you it when you, you know, what, you know, when you asked the question of how did I overcome the challenges? I, I used humor. I used athletics. I used um, great listening skills and the ability to listen to absorb, not just listen to respond. So that all these things come into play. Now this is what I do for a living. It's, it's so, it's so simple, but so complex at the same time.
0: Mm. You talk about how to grow an eight-figure business, forget seven, we don't need to deal with seven, let's go eight figures, 10 million plus. Um, how to grow an eight-figure business just by listening.
1: Well, it's, it's crazy, so I, I have, a, I have a, an entrepreneur I'm working with right now, his goal is, I wanna to get to a million dollars in revenue. And I said, well, why? Why? It's like the clients say, they need five years of experience. Tell me why, because in five years of experience, you can get somebody who's mediocre. You can get somebody with two years experience who's outstanding. What's the difference? It's just a lot of our thoughts are, are, were taught to us through you know, best of intentions of maybe where we worked or our parents or whomever. The reality is that a lot of that stuff is just not, not accurate anymore. I, I, I love music. I listen to music not on my 8-track player, but uh, uh, through my iPhone. It, the, I can take it to the gym. Taking the 8-track to the gym is not real, real attractive anymore. So to get someone to go from a from a you know from a six-figure business, or a, you know, a couple hundred thousand in revenue to a $10 million arc, there's a couple of stages we have to figure out. There's one, why? Only 4.3% of all businesses ever reach a million dollars in revenue. Hmm. 90% of businesses ever started fail within five years. So let's kind of keep the construct of this. And if you pour too much gasoline on the fire, it will explode and you'll run out of cash. You can actually grow out of business. So I'm more like about con- controlled slow growth. That's anywhere from, depending upon the, the industry, you know, 15 to 50% year over year, if we can get it there, but it's not sustainable. I, you know, we don't, we didn't make the ink list every single year forever. Nobody does. It just doesn't happen. You know, again, Tom Brady's won six Super Bowls in 19 seasons. There's 13 years he didn't win a Super Bowl. Um,
0: Let that sink
1: in. Exactly. And as you, as you think about, you know, why do you, want, why do you want to get there? What's driving you? Do you want to have a million dollars in revenue? Or do you want to have a million dollars in your pocket? Because they're not the same. When one, you know, so we figure that out. We figure what's going to drive you. Then we figure out what are the stages we need to do in the next 30, 60, 90 days to get you on that path. And you know, I've got a client right now, he's about a $5 million company. He wants to be a $25 million company. And he wants to be there within, within three or four years. So you, you do realize the complexities of that are gonna probably exceed your current leadership team. He says, what do you mean? I said, The, the team that gets you from, from one million to five million is gonna be different than the team that gets you from five to 10. I have to walk in the first, first meeting with a client every time I say this, like, how many people are on your leadership team? I've got five, I've got 10. Just plan on the first year half that team turning over. What do you mean? You know, three of these guys are my golf buddies. These are, you know, two of them, you know, my cousin's here. My wife's here. Just know what you're signing up for. Recognize that if, you know, as you change as a leader, as you change in how you interact with people and you no longer accept the excuses you accepted 60 days ago, people aren't going to like that. They're going to feel threatened by that. So just know that you want to go from, 700,000 to 10 million the, the, the people in the room today by and large will be replaced with other leaders. Hmm. That so yeah. the point of it is it's like, if you really want 10 I can show you how to get there recognize the 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 cost it's like doing a triathlon it's a big thing with entrepreneurs right now well recognize there's going to be pain <laughs> there's going to be disappointment there's going to be broken bikes there's going to be torn muscles there's going to be you know the thought of drowning i mean it's it's not just Every young entrepreneur I meet thinks it's Shark Tank. It's not Shark Tank.
0: <laughs> oh, what? Well, like, here's the check. You're here's brilliant. Here's the
1: check. Yeah. 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 Here's the check, and thank you so much. You, you know, and yeah. it's like Mark Cuban giving you know, this big man hug, saying, "Thank you so much. I'm so glad I met you."
0: <laughs> it is, like, a it <laughs> is a man hug. It is
1: a man hug. There's no. Uh, uh, it's just yeah, and then, or you just get the hearty <laughs> handshake from Mr. Wonderful. Either one's fine. But the reality is, oh, entrepreneurship is. You know, I always ask people, "Well, how hungry are you prepared to be?" Oh, I'll kill for my business. I'm like, no, like literally, how hungry are you willing to be? Let's talk about, the, you know, are you okay with your kids not having Christmas? Are you okay with not going to those cool restaurants? Because every dollar you make, you have to reinvest. And then you have to go to the bank and you have to put a personal guarantee. Have you talked to your wife about that? Well, no, I haven't. Okay, well, maybe we should start there.
0: You talk about uh, the person going from six figures to seven or eight figures or 5 million to 25 million. Do you find, because I've heard, that no matter where you are, it's always that next level is always uncharted. So are the people, whether they're starting at six figures or starting at 5 million and want to go up, are there similar fears, concerns, self-doubt and struggles? Oh, you know what? If there, if there
1: isn't, then they're probably not a good client for me because then they're in denial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't work with somebody who's in denial. Uh, the reality is, and, and Vern Harnish does a really good job in his, his uh, book scaling up, outlining the, the death valley zones of, you know, get a 1 million to 5 million to 10 million. There's all these dips and valleys and dips and valleys. Those va- dips and valleys are very common in the lexicon of how a business operates. You know, we're cash constructed here. We're cash flush here. We've got this bottleneck, that bottleneck. We've run out of markets to go to. How do we do this? How do we do that? The uniqueness is how the entrepreneur processes that. One of my, my favorite parts of, and this is a classic book, the, the good to great by, by Jim Collins is the Stockdale paradox. So in you know, Stockdale's in, a, in his POW camp and he's telling the story about how so many POWs pass away in the camp of a broken heart. Collins says, well, what does that mean? Well, they all come in here with a sense of optimism because you, know, you hear this all the time just be positive just be positive just be positive the real but their reality is they're in a prison camp and so they'll say well i'm going to be you know I, I get here in july i want to be out by christmas christmas comes and christmas goes they're still there next fourth of july comes it comes and goes halloween comes and goes and eventually they, they just start you know w- with the the abuse they're taking and all the other things that they, they, they eventually just end up now it doesn't work out entrepreneurs are no different if I just, if I, I, I can sell my way out of anything, no, you can't, no, you can't. You know, they think, well, Amazon lost money for all these years, but if you peel back what Bezos was really doing, it, that's, it's a much more complicated story. So entrepreneurs have to understand the same thing because there's that confronting your brutal reality. I have to have faith. Like I did in 2006. I have to have faith that somehow I'm going to get out of this debt. I have to have faith that I'm going to become cash, more cash flush. And I have to have faith that I'm going to convince people to come work for me after I just fired everybody. I have to have faith. But my brutal reality is I have $600,000 in debt. I'm almost out of money, and I got rid of all my employees. That's my brutal reality. All right, now let's reset, and let's go forward tomorrow. With my clients who are in, in chaos or panic, We every day we do five positive things, and they have to text them to me. Here's the five things I've done today. Well, I got that from my coach back in 06. Three days in, what don't I do? I don't text him. Ring, ring, 501. I didn't get your, I didn't get your text or your call. Yeah, I, I didn't do it today. Stop right there. I'm not wasting my time, he said to me. He goes, you're paying me a lot of money. You're paying me money you don't really have. You're going into further debt. Take this seriously. Honor your commitments. And Either, either you're in or you're out. Which is it? Wow. All right, I'm in. And you immediately start doing those five things. You got to the point, sometimes back in 06, the first text message was, I got out of bed and went to the gym. That was a big accomplishment when you're in that bad of shape.
0: What was it? The five accomplishments for the day? The, the five positive things
1: you've done today. It could be yeah. something simple. Anything. as, Yeah. yeah uh, I called four clients, and I have two lunches set up. Uh, I got a new a new PO. Um, I had a had a real. Core, I had a really great core value conversation with my young intern. I think I'd like to offer him a job once upon graduation. So those were all good things. Yeah. So. It's yeah. it's got to come down to you know the mixture of the good business strategy execution people cash plus your core values plus the mindset of the entrepreneur because the you know I just I just watched this Netflix show about the um, the documentary on that fire festival if you haven't seen it FY Ari the guy was constantly optimistic and he went through thirty million dollars in about sixty days <laughs> because he couldn't confront his reality it was a really good lesson for entrepreneurs.
0: And now again, talking about people, whether they're at half a million or fifty million, does imposter imposter syndrome come into play?
1: It really does. It's in you know for those of you listening who aren't totally familiar with imposter syndrome, it's, it's essentially it's what I know, and I think the world knows about me in kind of in a real nutshell. And so, if I think I'm aw- I'm awful, I assume the rest of the world knows about me. So. You know, my, my staff at one point in you know, 06 thought I should be the Oracle. I should have all the answers to all the questions, all the issues, all the time. I didn't. And I thought I sucked. And I was validating my, my behavior that the business wasn't doing well. And it, But I was so embarrassed to go outside of my house and tell anybody how bad things were that I just faked it. I was an imposter. Yeah, everything's great. Everything's super. Everything's awesome. And it's not. Um, it takes a lot of recognition to rec- to figure out that, you know what? In order to stop being an imposter, stop thinking I have to have all the answers, the first thing I need to do is I need to ask for help. An entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. And right now, I'm alone. I need to change that. I need to pivot off Mm. of that. And that's why people reach out to coaches like myself. That's why they join groups like EO or YPO. That's why they, you know, if, if they're early stage entrepreneurs, they go to SBAM. So there are programs out there or coaches out there that can assist somebody to get to the point where they're not feeling that such a, you know, and with the entrepreneur or um, imposter syndrome, there's a great deal of shame, a great deal Mm. of guilt, going back Mm. to childhood. I mean, the cycle can really spin out of control inside your head.
0: I developed this brand uh, based on the foundation of hiding behind fear. And I let that rule my reality and rule it did. Can you tell us a time that you are well aware of that you were overcome by fear? And how you got through that
1: oh sure so (laughs) going back to 2007 um restructuring the business got some momentum going still still was running out of cash pretty much like dollar in a dollar a dollar 50 out the door kind of thing my bank called me and said we're gonna we're gonna call your line
0: Hmm.
1: and i said well you know and i showed them the plan they they saw the incoming and i said I'm working. I just kind of leave me alone. We did that probably for about a three to six month cycle. Finally, at the end of it, you know, I was so afraid of having to go and file bankruptcy three, 90 days ago. I had to make peace. Like, you know what, if we can't work this out, this is over. It's, it's intimidating to walk into your banker and say, you know what, I I don't, I I don't have the money yet. Here's what I have today but I don't have all of it. So here's what I need you to do. The fear of asking for what I needed, asking for what I wanted. I need you to subordinate that debt and and turn off the interest. And I need you to loan me more money. And that's basically what they did. They laughed and they said, well, that's just not going to happen. I said, then here are the keys to the business. You can run it. And I'm going to go down the street to the lawyer and I'm going to file bankruptcy and you're going to get zero. Because whether you realize it or not, we're in bed together. So you can work with me, but get off my back and quit calling me every week, and you can, and, but, I, but I need more cash. And, here's how, and I came up with an idea how to structure that, that piece of debt. And I said, this will work if you're patient. But if you want to be aggressive and you want to foreclose on me, so to speak, then here's the keys. And let's just, but the stress of you calling me and getting, letting you get in my head, what I'm trying to get out of my head, isn't working for me anymore. And so you have
0: to confront it less than, dig- right? You have to confront it head on.
1: Well, because I hadn't been, I was like, "Well, just yeah, it's kind of like, oh, come on, we'll, I'll figure this out. We'll figure it out." All right, enough. Okay, we've got to deal with this. And it, and it was like, and I literally, I remember sliding on the keys of the office across it, like, take it. I'm done. We don't know how to run the business. Like I know that, so <laughs> exactly. I'm just going to shut it down. You can have all the you know the the ten desks we have and the outdated computers and the paper files and it's all yours. Take it. Wow. Or you can go with this plan or you can come to me with a different plan. Um, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to follow the law now and I'm going to file for bankruptcy. And this is what I'm going to do. Or we can, we can approach this because that, that doesn't feel good to me. So there's gotta be a way to solve this problem where you're not beating me up constantly. Cause you know what? You're already doing a job that I'm doing a great job of myself. We don't need two of us beating me up. Help me figure this out. Let's do this. And you know, she said to me, she's like, all right, I, I, I think we can get this pushed through, but, you know, you've got to make this happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, what conversation would you have with your younger self?
1: Oh, the biggest thing I'd say to my younger self is trust your gut. So many times during the course of my, my life, let alone the course of my career, you know, I think I know the right answer. I think, you know, I think this person's, you know, I think this person's toxic. I shouldn't have them in my company or I should have them in my life or my personal life. Or this is a really bad business idea but you know, everybody else thinks it's good. Or so that was the very first thing. So I hired my coach in 2006 and he says, "Well, oh, it can't be as bad as you're telling me. I said, yeah, it's, it's as bad as I understand my limited understanding of financials. He looks at me. He's like, Oh my God, it's worse than you told me. I'm like, yeah. He goes, how did you get here? And I tell him the story. He goes, well, what would you have done differently? I said, well, I would have done this and I would have done this and I would have done this why didn't you do it? I said, well, I took the counsel of other people, whether it's lawyers who don't always give the best business advice. That's why they're lawyers, not owners. I took advice from my accountant who, again, between lawyers, accountants, and doctors, they, they, they think they know a lot about business and they can apply certain skills along the way, but they're not owners. They're not entrepreneurs. They don't see the big picture sometimes. And he was like, you know, if you had just done those three things, you wouldn't be in this spot. I'm telling you, you got to trust your gut more. So that's the first thing I learned is trust my gut more. Second thing I would tell my bit, my younger self is margins over revenue every time margins over revenue and know your financials. I have a degree in communications and marketing. I don't know. I didn't know them. I know them now. Like we make decisions. We tell no customers who don't meet our margin requirements because it's just crummy business. Why take it on?
0: Hmm. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason?
1: You know, it's a, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. Um, I, you know, I do, by and large, there's certain things that, you know, there's, there's tsunamis and hurricanes and things like that, that I can't understand, you know, I can't put into the construct of everything happens for a reason, but I can say from not only my personal life, you know, whether, going gone from being a single parent and raising my son by myself, Hmm. Um, to, to growing the business, almost running the business on the ground, and then bringing, bringing the rebirth to the coaching stuff I do now. There's so many different co- opportunities that come that I have no idea where, you know, someone may listen to me, they'll call me up, and it, I could help change their lives. Or I can have someone call up and they change my life. That's the great thing about it is it's a, it's a mutual teaching experience. Um, I, I've been places where I just strike up a conversation with somebody in line at the grocery store or at the restaurant that, wow, that was really cool. You know, I, I gave a speech in Toronto, Canada, for a friend of mine. He goes like, "Will you please come and give this your speech? I can't pay you. I'll, I'll put you up in a hotel and give you gas money." Sure, Sean, I'll come up and do that for you. Good guy. I want to help him. Very first big event, and I got all these kids in the audience, and I'd never spoken before like nine, ten, eleven year old kids. I oh man! All right, I got like on the fly pivot, so I, I, I modify the speech a little bit. This nine year old kid, his name is Alec, comes up to me and. His mom goes, he's afraid to talk to you, but I just want to let you know you've changed his life today. I'm like, how? And this is my fail forward into success speech. And he, and he showed me this picture he had. He goes, you said fail 12 times. And he had boxes with 12 Fs. He goes, it equals S, success. He goes, so now I can't, he goes, I'm never going to fail. Or I'm never not going to be successful because if I just keep failing, eventually success is going to happen. Thank you so much. His mom gives me a hug. The kid takes a picture with me. and. I didn't even see it coming. So did th- do I think that moment, do I think I was putting that young man's life that day for that reason? Absolutely. Did I want to drive four and a half hours one way? Um, I've made a promise on the night of my promise, but yeah, it was a long drive, but the drive back home was a lot more exciting than the drive there because I had a little Alex. I took a picture of the kid and everything. I'm like, this is awesome. He, he changed my life. I'm never going to forget him. He may say, "Hey, I saw some guy somewhere talk about failure and you know, I just don't believe in it. I don't, I don't need a uh, pride of authorship. I don't need recognition. The fact that this little kid saw the world differently hmm. because he had an interaction with me that that's honestly, that's the reason to, that's, that's, that goes to my core value of improving lives.
0: Hmm. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? I'm becoming more as I get
1: older. Uh, <laughs> I've had, I remember when I was six, I had many conversations with God where I didn't think he or she was answering. Um, it's, it's the spirituality, I think is such a, such a, well, it's a dicey topic for people. It can be, a, can be an uncomfortable topic. I, I guess I just have to believe that I've, I've had so much good fortune happen in my life, both personally and professionally that, that I, I, I someone's gotta be looking out for me because it's, you know, there, I, I'm not that special, cool, or unique where those things should happen to me. I've been, I've been to the, to the bottom of, of the con, I met a guy in a baseball stadium watching a game where there's like 5,000 people. We strike up a conversation. Six months later, I'm at the bottom of South Africa at at Cape Horn with a guy I didn't know six months ago. I mean, that's just... Oh, that's how it happened? How did I get there? Yeah. How did I get... I mean, it's just crazy. And it's just so many different things because I'm basically in... Introverted extrovert. I can be extroverted when necessary, but I really like my quiet time. So I'm not talking to this. His name is Brian. I'm not talking to Brian. He's talking my ear off. I'm like, and he's like, hey, you know, I was telling him some of the stuff. I he's like, oh, that's really cool. And you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. And oh, hey, man, here here's my card. He's, he can we be friends on Facebook? Sure, no problem. And just from from that opportunity, from him really being much more gregarious and personal than I ever was, somehow I end up taking a safari. I got to walk with cheetahs. I uh, get, you know, go to the Victoria fall. I get to do all those cool stuff that six months ago was, was not even on my bucket list. So I, I really do know that, that there's something going on in the universe that I can't explain.
0: Opportunity was there. You found uh, it, you took it.
1: it we'll, we'll go with that.
0: <laughs> what do you believe happens when it's all over? When our time here on earth comes to an end? You know,
1: uh, and I've been thinking a lot about our legacy, And I had a a, certainly a vision one point in my life of what I thought legacy was going to be. Um, it's shifting over time. I I hope that, you know, after, I hope after my time is here, that someone remembers me, you know, I, I want someone, I hope the impact is there and I hope that people will, you know, learn from challenges I faced and that they maybe won't spare them the pain in regards to beyond that you know, it's, it's tough to say. I, I guess I'd like to think that we go someplace. But, you know, the, the linear side of my entrepreneurial brain, the, the finance side, like, well, there's cause and effect. There's one plus one equals two and one minus one equals zero. And the lights go out. So I, I – what actually, it's so funny. In my office, that you can't see it, but I have a big list of my life objectives. And when I, at the end of the list is I want to be at peace with dying. That's one of my big goals in life. Cause I don't, I don't know. Like most, like 99% of us don't know. And having lost my father so young, it's like, I, I've, I've, you know, he was 45. I, I just turned 50. And I feel like I'm on borrowed time. Some days I've outlived my dad by five years. Now, thankfully my brother's 12 years older than me. And thank goodness. I'm very happy he's still with us. Um, so I, I hope that there's more time, but the reality is we don't know. So the, the overall point of, I don't think about what it's like, what's afterlife. I think about what can I do now? Because if we live in the here and now, we really do live each day as if it's our last. The impact we make on other people, the connections we make with other people, mm. the energy we transfer between others, it, it, that's, that's the, hopefully the legacy.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Right there with you. I'll leave you with this final question. Todd Palmer, how would you like to be remembered?
1: I'd like to be remembered in general. That'd be great. Um, (laughs) Generally. It'd be nice just just to be remembered. Uh, It's funny. I've got a lot of friends who are professional athletes and they get that question kind of with the media and they give these fluff answers and everything. Um, I think for me, if someone like Alec remembers me when he's my age, that's awesome. He doesn't have to remember my name or, or anything other than, hmm, I used to think life was like this. Now I see life in a little bit better way. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it's that legacy play. I don't necessarily need my, you know, I got friends of mine who want to put their name on buildings. You know, I've written a book, at, working on my second book. So someone may buy that someday and remember me. But really, I think it's, I want people to remember how I made them feel. And hopefully I made them feel, feel cared about, heard through authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. And that's enough.
0: Wow. Well, you certainly made me feel extraordinary. There's that word, right? There you go. I love it. Extraordinary advisors. Um, Seriously, though, thank you, Todd, for coming on, showing up, and opening up, and for um, giving us your thoughts. This has been amazing.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the the program. And I'd like to make an offer to your audience. Anybody who's heard me on your show who goes to my website, Fills out the contact information form and says they heard me on your program. I'm happy to give them a half hour free of my time just to talk about whatever's their biggest bottleneck, wow. whatever's holding them back. Wow! Because again, it goes back to the core value of improving lives. And but all, their only requirement is they have to tell me that they heard me on your program today, Got it. and um, I'm happy to to put time on my calendar for them.
0: Wow! 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 Is that generous and amazing? I feel like I could talk to you for ever. So I know a half hour is, um, is going to be very welcome. We'll link to that. We'll make it known. Um, Great. Thank you again.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on today. I had a great time.
0: Cool. And really great to have everybody joining us, whether it's during the live broadcast here, or you're listening to the native podcast on either Apple podcasts, Google or Spotify. We are there. If you're there, click review Let me know how you found it, how you like it, what you like about it. I love reading your thoughts. We're gonna do this again before too long. Until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to The
1: Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time.